now, your host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Tri-Tac Games Podcast, your podcast of amazing adventures and supernatural explorations in the most amazing worlds that have ever been created. We have as our goal each and every week to bring the awesome to your game, and we hope that this week we will be able to tell you how to be awesome hackers. Well, not real hackers. Well, we're not going to talk about how to actually hack systems because we don't want to get uh, trouble like Steve Jackson did, but we're talking about actually playing hackers. What kind of person you want to be and what kind of experience you want your role-playing to be. Now, we've thought about a number of different archetypes of hackers. Trav, which hacker did you choose? I chose the cowboy hacker, which is also known as a console cowboy. Now, these are the type of hackers that, okay, a hacker, what they do, they illegally gain access to other people's computer systems, either across the internet or they get to the system physically, jack themselves in or plug themselves in. There's three reasons why they're going into that system. They're either taking information, placing information, or they're going to control some or all aspects of the system that they're trying to legally get into. All the above, yeah. Well, yeah, they can do that too. It just may take them a little longer. Anyways, a cowboy hacker is a hacker that unorthodox is the word of the day for him. He goes in, he has no plans, off the cuff, play it by ear. And, of course, in pop culture, we have several good examples of the cowboy hacker. Of course, from The Matrix, we have both Neo and Trinity. They have their programs, and they have to think on the fly. In literature, we have, of course, probably the quintessential hacker. That would be Case from William Gibson's Neuromancer. And also in anime, we have, and I'm going to mangle this name here, Motoko Kusanagi from Ghost in the Shell. The Major. Yes. Thank you, John. John's a little more familiar with that anime than I am. These cowboy hackers, if they are faced with a black ice or an AI that's trying to thwart them, they're going to do stuff so off the wall that it'll totally throw anybody off. So they're spontaneous. Oh, very, very, yeah. And and as I said, unorthodox, and usually these are just egotistical as hell. They figure that they, nobody can hurt them. It's almost like a cyber version of an adrenaline junkie. Nine times out of ten, these cowboy hackers are in it for the rush. They're it, what's the old uh, Deep Purple song? It's not the kill, it's the thrill of the chase. That's how they often go about getting into another system. And, oh gosh, there was a hacker, and I forget his name, and it's not the Waz. Um, he was beaten by a Japanese mathematician. Mm. Uh, the Condor, I believe, was his name, his, his uh, net name. It was all ego to him. And when the Japanese mathematician finally got him, the hacker, the Condor, actually, uh, Robert Mitnick, that's his name. I just remembered it. Robert Mitnick. He would be probably the best real-life example of a cowboy hacker. Mm -hmm. 
And he actually looked at the mathematician because the mathematician, and it's a Japanese name, I forget his name, but he looked at the, at the mathematician as he was arrested because the mathematician wanted to be there. And Mitnick bowed to him. <laughs> like, you're a worthy opponent. You got me. Yeah. I mean, the younger Wozniak of Apple fame would have been also a good cowboy hacker. In fact, that's what he was initially. You know, but he was more into the more phone hacking back then. Yeah, like Captain Crunch, when mm-hmm. you got Captain Crunch whistle and you could hack through telephone lines and they're making international phone calls. Yep. Something about cowboy hackers usually, these are the ones that I have heard that when in real life these cowboy hackers come in and hack like corporate systems – they often end up being incredibly wealthy because the corporations will hire them and say, you broke into our system, we'll pay you triple or whatever you think you were going to get from us to make it so others can't get in. Right. So these guys are, in some ways, they would be a security risk because they would want everyone to know who they were. Maybe not their personal identity, but, a, but some kind of a handle or a hacker name that they, they would want to be known by. Well, as I said, Robert Mitnick was the condor, and then there was Captain Crunch, the guy who used this, and it was a, a whistle that you could get in the Captain Crunch, hence the name. And he it blew a particular tone that keyed in the international phone line where you could transfer without having to do somebody do it. The name comes with the eagle. I don't mean, that's a stupid idea. Who would come up with a single nickname because of eagle? I have no idea. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> I don't either, Trav. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> because of this ego, they will do the unexpected things. They ride that wave. So if you're playing this kind of a character, it sounds like the other players need to understand that you're going to probably be causing them to have to deal with certain situations. You're going to be driving some encounters in what they might consider to be a less optimum way because they're expressing their character this way. Yeah, the ego could be rather grating to other characters. It, they're usually lone wolves because they don't want to deal with a partner. It's like, you know, I got in the system by myself. I don't need a partner. I don't want a partner. And I got to sit there and guide you guys and, like, hack into the system so you guys can get into physical extractions. And they're just going to be, like, blowing these people off. Yeah, it could cause some problems with group cohesion because anyone with raging ego after a while can just be annoying. Those of us who are familiar with some of the older television shows, MASH, when they brought in the new surgeon, Major Winchester, who thought that everything he did was perfect. Yeah. He was expecting everybody to bow down to him. It was only when they showed him that he didn't know everything, you know, that he had to work together and learn from them, too, what they learned in the trenches— that he was able to integrate into the group. Yes. Yeah, and often it's a very humbling experience for that person. Yeah. Anyone with ego, the last thing they want is get knocked down a peg or three. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing about your, your cowboy hackers that you know the, some of the other hackers will look down on is the fact that he's he, he's a dirty hacker because when he goes in, you know he he's going in without crossing all his T's and dotting all his I's. So you know he's playing off the cuff. Oh, yeah, they're often very sloppy and unorthodox. They're programmed, oh, it's this anti-encryption program. And it's just somebody who's learned it will look in the code and go, what is this? (laughs) 
Oh, I made this last week. It's great, man. I tried it. It worked out. And they're like, this shouldn't even work. Right. Your cowboy hacker won't pick the lock. He'll kick the door in. Yeah. They'll take more chances, too. They're, they're quite willing to, to get, get themselves into, into more trouble just because of, because of the rush. And it also raises their rep. Yeah. The other guys will ask him, say, aren't you afraid of setting off alarms? He says, no, no, I use them to confuse everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I do like <laughs> now your cowboy is, is definitely one who might I take the challenge of going in physically into a, into a location where some of the other types may go mm, I'm not going to go there I'll stay across the Starbucks across the street where you guys go in oh I don't know Jonathan that's what we like to call the cyber commando <laughs> uh, yeah the cyber commando he's the guy who, who really does have some steel balls because he doesn't sit behind a keyboard and, and, and act all tough. This, this guy is actually really is kind of tough because he's actually going to risk life and limb and imprisonment on a more direct scale because he's actually going to go in with the team physically into the location and uh, do his hacking. Right. And by him, you mean her. Or her, whatever. Or her. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah, um, I'm just using the, the standard English. I know, I know. We we talk about these really tough guys and and having steel balls, but Trinity was nobody to dismiss. Oh no, sure, sure. Oh, no. I saw part of Hackers, but I think Angelina Jolie's character was pretty tough in that too, wasn't she? Yeah. Well, she talked tough. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. But so the the point is that these guys they actually physically enter the building, so they may you know from a a role-playing character standpoint because you have balance and stuff, they may not be as skilled as your cowboy hacker because, you know, points only go so far when you're making up a character or roles or whatever. So they're going to have to allocate some of their stuff to the physical aspects. However, they don't need to be quite as good because they're going to be attacking from the inside. So some of the stuff that they have to encounter, they're not going to encounter because whoever's defending the position can't lock them out of the system. They're already inside. You don't have to worry about the digital security on a computer system if you could walk in and yank the hard drive. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Or if you can plug into the mainframe and download the information directly. Yeah, right. It's a lot easier than trying to go to the network and trying to you know, convince it that, yes, I am the CEO of the company. Right. <laughs> if you're attacking from the outside, they can always shut you down through the firewall. But if you're behind the firewall... They still can because you can still find whatever address you're coming in on internally, but it's just so much harder. Right. If you can actually get to the real physical mainframe, then you pretty much have access. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we're not talking about just reaching in and yanking a hard drive out and taking it with you because you don't have to be a hacker to do that. That's right. We're talking about a guy who actually does – he literally plugs in and downloads material. Right. Or imports material or controls things. or And, and a good type of that is, is from the latest Tron movie. Sam Quinn. I just, Sam. Saw, the, I just saw the movie this weekend. Yeah, it's uh, Sam Quinn was there. In, right, sorry. There and he had his little handheld computer and he was doing his thing. And he got in. He snuck in. He was actually doing both. He was stealing and implanting. Yeah. Yeah. We have to admit that, A... He is a, technically the major stockholder in the company, so he probably has some say and some knowledge of the system he was breaking into. But still, yes, absolutely. And considering the fact that he, you know, he jumps off the building. Oh man, I hope we're not spoiling it for anyone. It's in the opening sequences. Don't worry. I know, I know. We're not ruining anything. <laughs> He's probably not 
the greatest programmer or hacker in the world, although he might be because, you know, it's a movie character, so he can be super great at everything. But if if he was a character, you know, he would have to sacrifice a little bit on one end to get something on the other. Nonetheless, yeah, he's he's a perfect example of, of a cyber hacker. I think you're right, Blix, that intimate knowledge of a system can make up for a lot of missing levels in hacking skill. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if you work for the company, there's no way a cyber command can operate, too, is by sneaking in as, oh, I'm Joe Average, and I'm going to be sitting here working in this terminal. Hack, 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 hack. And, right. hope, you, and hope you're not getting captured during the process. Right. Well, because most hackers, if they don't have intimate knowledge of the system... They have to do research, and it's like the old thing they used to call trashing, mm-hmm. where literally you were dumpster diving, looking for anything that might have a password on it in the dumpsters outside of the building where this system was. Because people will scribble stuff down on pads or whatever, and just because they may have ripped off and destroyed the top layer of the pad where it was written, you still imprint on the lower levels underneath. Mm-hmm. They'll just do a rubbing and get the password. If you don't have that intimate access like Sam Flynn did, then you have to go that other route and then Mm -hmm. go from there, the trashing. I think you raise a good point that your character as a cyber commando doesn't have to be the after-dark infiltration agent. There are two totally different sets of skills we're talking about here. One is somebody who comes in with the social skills to be able to convince people that he belongs there and go, get to a place where he can get access to the system. And the other one is someone who has to go through the whole bypassing security and electronic countermeasures and things like that, a stealth method to get into the same place. So you could build your character either way, and both would be a cyber commando. Heck, you could, you could even have a guy who's good at disguise, disguises himself as one of the guys who actually works there, finds out where that guy goes to get his coffee in the morning, Put a couple of drops of like I don't know acid or something in his in his coffee. A guy trips out, can't go to work, or he knocks him out in an alley or something. I don't know something like that. And then he you know takes his place. Replaces sugar with with sleeping pills, you know ground sleeping pills, and that would probably work too in his coffee. That brings up that really awesome gem of a movie, Charlie's Angels. That the three girls dress up, or two of them dress up as men, and they go in as some kind of consultant, some kind of efficiency consultant. And they wind up hacking into the system. Now, in Venture Brothers, they had a person's whole hand, and they had a head, just in case. That's the bad kind of cyber commando hacker uh, who, you know, takes people's heads and arms and legs just so they can get into the building. Well, heck, since we're talking Fringeworthy, your Meller oh, yeah. could, could pull that off quite easily. Oh, God, yes. You know, imagine your Meller. You got, let's say you got a high-level Meller, and he touches two or three of the, the programmers, so he gets their skills, especially if they're from different departments. So he has all kinds of passwords and access to all kinds of places, and he can go into just about any part of the building because he can change his retina pattern and his fingerprints and his voice pattern. There's your Uber hacker. Well, if you wanted to take it the other direction, the Meller, if he set up a computer system, would require maybe five or six different retina patterns, which he could easily change to in order to get access. Holy Bruce, I never even thought of that. That is amazing. Oh, that is good. So the only way to get into it is to have 10 different fingerprints, and the system is set up to read the 10 different fingerprints one second apart, and he just goes and shifts from fingerprint to fingerprint. Now there, that's evil. And we're just escalating the evil here with this, with what a new <laughs> hacker, yeah. Far, far more evil, he, he, uh, he has it so that you, you need Meller DNA. 
Oh, he could do that. Yeah. He has a ready supply of it. Yes, and if you kill them, you lose all the all the DNA because it turns to mush. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No way in. Well, see, but since the Mellor are all basically the same Mellor, all you have to do is have a couple strapped down least Mellor, and it would provide the same DNA. That's true. Yeah. So there, there are ways around things, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nothing's impossible. So, yeah, that's your Cyber Commando. You also have your new agey type of computer hackers. You know, they get into the system and they, they kind of feel it, you know. They, they, they live it. And uh, we were talking about them. They're the uh, your priest wizard types. Bruce, I think you were going to talk about those. The most recent example of that is uh, Jeff Bridges in Tron, where he's literally sitting there with glowing molts all around him. You know he's communing with the system as he does this. Then later on, he walks into a room, he puts his hand down on the floor, and bam, everything around him changes. These guys, they can be flashy, but more often, they're not going so much for the shock, it's for the awe. They want people to be afraid of them. They want people to respect them so deeply that they overestimate their capabilities. These people will be deeply, deeply knowledgeable about the systems they're able to go into. They're going to create philosophical attacks uh, in the sense that it'd be an awful lot like a magician where you'll use misdirection. I'm going to make this computer system over here busy, so you go over and you mess with that. Meanwhile, I'm over here doing something else. They want the whole wizard priest-like thing where everyone comes to them because they are so knowledgeable. They're not going to be the cowboy. They may be just as egotistical, but they're just going to be more restrained, more reserved, more dignified. They would love for everyone to treat them you know, as if they are the greatest thing since sliced bread, but that doesn't always happen. But if you want that character, that's kind of probably the direction you're going to go. I imagine, Bruce, that they would have a lot of followers. They would tend to generate followers and people who would look up to them. Mm-hmm. You said Jeff Bridges is a good example. I think Morpheus makes another good example. He, he's a priest type. Right. I think you're absolutely right about that. Someone who really understands computers and I'm talking about in the real world, understands that the best thing you could ever do is leverage somebody else's labor. Yeah. You know, you have the computer do your work for you, have another programmer do your work for you, but you get all the credit. You're always going to want to teach stuff to other people and hand off jobs to other people so that you, know, you can concentrate on something that's really difficult that only you can do. At the same time, everybody feels like they are participating. So you don't get these lone hacker-type scenarios with a real priest-wizard-type character. He's going to involve everybody around them because, A, that protects him because there's more targets. B, it makes it easier for him to do his job. And C, their sense of entitlement in the situation brings the respect right back to him when they're successful. That was Morpheus because, yeah, he had his holy crusade of finding the one and stopping the the war with the machines. Mm -hmm. And so he just had people left, right, and center, not only on his own ship, but he had Saren on one ship and Niobe on the Logos. And it was a holy crusade for him. And you very rarely saw Morpheus get flustered. He got the crap kicked out of him a couple times, Mm -hmm. but rarely flustered because it was a higher plateau of spirituality that he had going about hacking into the Matrix because he had that ultimate goal. Right. So if that's the kind of hacker you want to play, then it will help if you're with a a group that is really well integrated 
and is willing to take your lead or at least understands that you're not going to be doing everything yourself because that's your personality type. The people who do want to do it all themselves or they have a very resident point of view, these are what we refer to as the cool professionals. Blix, you were going to talk about them, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Your cool professionals, in my opinion, they make the most fantastic hackers because they take a great deal of time to, to research everything they're going to do. Your cool professional never goes in without knowing something about the system. So if somebody were to come to him and say, uh, I want you to hack this system and we're going we're going in tomorrow night, you know, he would be like, unless he already knew a bunch of stuff about the system and the people and, and all that, he would say no. He'd be like, I'm sorry, I don't do jobs like that. But he's the kind of guy who will literally uh, do like you were saying, Trav, he'll dumpster dive for information. He'll look up the employees for the corporation, go hack their houses and get into their personal computers and find stuff that he can find. He'll dig through their trash. He'll meet them at a cafe, bump into them, and start talking to them. Spark up the conversation to the point to where they start talking about. They start talking about computers, and you know he'll get a feel for how they are. Social hacking. He's social hacking, right? He'll get into Facebooks and stuff and make friends with them with a dummy account, of course, and watch and see what they're talking about. Oh, he's disgruntled. Maybe I can get some information from him. Meet him in a coffee shop. That kind of thing. Now, of course, some of them are going to take it further than others, and it depends on how hard the hack is going to be. You know, if it's not a super hard hard hack he's not going to go through as much trouble but if he's going to break into like a government computer or something like that you know like he's going to break into say the pentagon or something to that effect you know he might go through all of this trouble to get as much information as he possibly can get a copy of their contacts find out who their wife is find out what the kids names are what their birth dates are what their pets names are he's also going to have a whole plethora of programs in case he runs into certain situations there's a movie that has this Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Sidney Poitier, Sneakers. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 yes. Yes, I remember that one, yes. They got the guy who had to say passport, and, you know, Mary McDonald had to date him and all that. There's your cool professionals there because they right. researched everything to get into that place. And no matter what they do and no matter what they say, it isn't personal. It's a job. He doesn't have to do this every time for every job because he's good. He's clean. He, he goes in. He comes out. He doesn't leave a whole bunch of trails and, and such. So if he gets hired to go into, say, I don't know, IBM's computer system, he may have been in there before. And he might take the job and go, yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you covered. I'll do a little research, but, you know, we can go in there. And he already has backdoors. You know, the last time he was in there, he set up a backdoor. He set up 10. You know what I mean? He's also got contacts. You know, he knows other professionals, and they network, and they share information. They trade information. This guy really has his bases covered. His plan B has a plan B. Right. For those of you who don't know what a backdoor is, a, a backdoor is what it sounds like. It's a backdoor to a system that actually programmers usually put in so that they can get into a secure system without going through the rigmarole of all the security checks to fix something. It's not an official access point. Yeah, it's, 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 that's why it's called backdoor. And most companies try to get rid of them in their software before they go, go out there, but they, it, it happens sometimes. It happens too many times that software goes out with backdoors and they've got to remove. It happens more often than most people think. Yeah. In 2006, the, uh, one of the security companies did a study and came back with a, the figure of 23% of all systems had at least one backdoor in their system. And how many had the, the admin password set to default? <laughs> oh. Yeah. 
It wasn't that long ago when they were publishing, here's the list of the most commonly used passwords. If you said that at a group meeting, it was amazing to see how many people's eyebrows went up because you just named their password. That's amazing. I got the same combination on my luggage. (laughs) (laughs) We're all creatures of habit. That's why dumpster diving works is because if you go and, and spend enough time going in and analyzing a person, then your chances of coming up with their most likely passwords is enormously greater than just doing a brute force hack, uh, combination hacking at their passwords. From a game point stand, you know, getting getting back to the game, now that, that's perfect like in a novel or something when you're writing about somebody and, and of right. course, the character can move at the speed of plot and he has all the time in the world and blah, blah, blah. But they and also in, uh, uh, I think it was uh, A Clear and Present Danger, uh, mm-hmm. where they had to hack into like one of the uh, director's passwords and the guy says, well, let's see, uh, we require at least 12 digits and so-and-so. It may take me a week, may take me a month. And the guy says, okay, well, let us know. And they turn around, and the guy says, oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it literally can happen at the speed of plot. Where I was going with this is that from a character standpoint, from playing a character who who's a cool professional, yes, you generally don't have the time for that kind of stuff, you know, unless the game master is very generous with you. It should be done off camera. So it's done off camera, but it's basically mainly should be handled with skills or or, or you know merits or, or edges or whatever that you have. Like for example, if you're playing a cool professional, you better have a lot of contacts and a high level of investigation, right? And maybe some allies. And then the, the game master can allow you to make use of all of those. You know, yeah. your contacts, you get information from other hackers that you know. Your allies, same kind of thing. They go and get stuff for you. Maybe they go dumpster dive for you. You're going to have those expert knowledge bonuses. You're going to right. have those intimate knowledge of the systems. You're going to have the exact matching interfaces for that particular brand of software or hardware that you're going into. You're going to have all those things lined up because that's what you do. You make sure you have all your P's and Q's. Right. On top of that, your hacking skills is not probably not going to need to be as high or be as high as your cowboy because you don't rely on that. You rely on all this, you know, all the pre-work that you've done so that you don't have to do all that stuff. Right. Which would be things like bluff, diplomacy, knowledge technology. Research. A lot of knowledge technology. Your information, your charisma will be just as much needed as your intelligence. Because you're going to have to deal with people with the contacts and everything in order to get that information so you don't need as high of a computer use check. Right. So you're not picking the lock. You're not kicking the door in. You come with the key. Exactly. Oh, no. I have an invitation. That does kind of lead into our, our the last type of hacker we're talking about. He's also a bit like the cool professional, except that he isn't cool or professional. He's the anti-cool professional. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just like the cool professional, only the opposite. Yeah. yeah. He does use tools. It's, it's the wannabe, or as uh, I got the name right, a script kitty. A script kitty is so you know a wannabe uh, hacker. They don't actually have very good hacking skills. They don't need them. They rely on tools. They have all sorts of various tools that they're uh, gotten off of whereas sites or or off of other hackers. They themselves really don't know how to actually write code, but they know how to use these tools to you know bludgeon down uh, security doors and break into systems. And they're just as dangerous as any, any other hacker. It's just that they, you know, they're more often not doing it from their mother's basement. Wait a minute. 
Yeah. So, John, John, is this a hacker who's a hack? Yeah, it's a hacker who's a hack. If you're familiar at all with a myth adventure series, one of the mages uh, who becomes an apprentice to the main character, I think her name is Masa. Yep. She actually had very little, at least at the beginning, very little magical power of her own. She was an amazing wizard because she had all these items that gave her special powers. If she wanted to do mm-hmm. a fireball, she had a ring that did a fireball. If she wanted to do a force field, then she had a cloak. And so she had this toolkit of equipment that she had that made her able to go toe-to-toe with a, quote, real wizard. But when she had to start learning to do the real stuff, well, then she found herself to be very underpowered. Oh, yeah. So, as you say, this this so-called script kitty, as long as they're in the area where they're comfortable, they're amazing. Oh, yeah. They're not good in, in situations where they have to improvise. A good example of, of a script kitty is from one of the earliest um, hacking movies, War Games. The Matthew Broderick character, he's basically a script kitty. He, he has no really no good knowledge of actually hacking, but he, he gets what tools he can... And he ends up hacking into, well, a computer he shouldn't hack into at that point. (laughs) Want to play a game? (laughs) Of all the movies about hacking, War Games is the closest to real hacking of all the movies I've seen so far. (laughs) The way he did because it took took him weeks to do it. You know, he he didn't happen overnight. It took him weeks to actually hack into that system, but he did everything. Research and looking up things and finding the back door and all that stuff and using various programs he got from other people to break into the system. But script kids can be just as dangerous, but physically and, and socially they're not that imposing. You know, I hate to say this, you know, a kid living in, a, in their parents' basement is a good example. In game terms, this toolkit either has built-in skills at a certain default level that that that, that operate. You know, certain programs, so you, you know, depending on how your system works, you're using, or they just give good bonuses, you know, equipment bonuses to the to the to the hacker for doing things. If we were talking about this in game system terms, for example, the hero system where you could say create a little black box that could do all these things if you gave all these abilities and skill levels to that black box, mm-hmm. means that you yourself wouldn't have those powers, but the box would have. So as long as you had the box, you were awesome. Yep, in D20 Modern, you can assume that you get a certain skill bonus, a stackable bonus. If you use this tool and this tool, you get a plus four or plus five to your skill rolls. That's the different types of types of hackers that we thought about and the different kinds of characters you might want to play as far as personality types are concerned. But now we want to move on to why we have a hacker in the game. If you want to play a hacker, you're looking for particular roles not necessarily characters. As Trav mentioned, that the three things that you're primarily trying to do with a hacker is gain information from a system, place information in a system, or gain control of that system and the systems that it may control. Flix, in the game systems that we play, in the, in the various games that we play, what would be some of the information that you would, as a hacker, be wanting to get that otherwise you wouldn't need to be there for? Number one, secret files or information on projects, say. some. It doesn't have to be a project. It could be a person. Someone hires the hacker to go in and get this information to give it to them. It may have nothing to do with the character or may not be able to help him in any way, shape, or form other than to get money from his employer because it will help that person. Or the information 
pictures, whatever it is, could be to blackmail somebody or set somebody up mm-hmm. in some way. It could be information you're trying to get to do a different job altogether. So in other words, you're not getting paid to do this. You're getting paid to do something else, but you need this information to do that. Sometimes you want to get access to a system so you can hurt somebody, so you can uh, reduce their credibility. You can put crimes in a police database. People are looking for these people for these various charges or uh, change somebody's address on their DMV so when they take their license and they get stopped by the police, they're like, hey, your, your documentation doesn't match what's in our system. You must be a criminal of some kind. If you want someone to be, take the blame for something, you can put sensitive information that you might have gotten from that other system that Blix was just talking about and put it into their system. And oh my goodness, how do you have all this very sensitive information in your uh, personal database here, sir? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how that could have gotten there. Well, come this way, please. If you're playing bureau agents, you're basically trying to make sure you have information in a database so you actually have a cover, trying to establish a cover by hacking into, like, say, the uh, corporation database to add yourself in as an employee of that company with all the appropriate information and records and so forth so that you can just walk in one day and say, oh, I lost my key card. Can you give me a new one? giving yourself a backdoor for a system. You know, maybe you didn't get anything from that system at all for any reason, but you know eventually, you know, someone's going to hire you to do a job. So, for example, uh, you hack into some spy satellite, and you don't have a job or anything to do. You just want to have a spy, spy satellite at your disposal so that if you should get hired to do a job and they want some intel, you can say, oh, yeah, I can get that for you. John, haven't you ever been to, like, one of the Google Maps sites and it's fuzzed out? Yeah, that satellite would see that site. But you don't even have to go to satellites because, as you've seen on a number of shows these days, a lot of times what they do is they just simply use all the cameras that are down on street level just to track you know, cars and to find people and get pictures of people as they're doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, where you, you might have a really hard time getting that shot from orbit because there could be a cloud in the way, but there's no cloud between you and that uh, ATM on the corner. So if you're trying to track people by getting access to those systems that we see them doing is going to give you that kind of uh, surveillance that never really even existed before. The Italian job, was that the movie where they controlled all the traffic lights? Yes, they, I think they did that and, and they, they did that in a number of other movies too. You're playing your game and you got your several characters, right? And you know there's going to be a car chase or there very well could be a car chase. So your net runner goes in or your hacker, whatever you want to call him, to to the system. And you just you make sure you use him at all stages of the, of the adventure so that that player, he might be sitting on his own every once in a while, but generally he's part of the, he's, he's part of the adventure. And secondly, everyone else isn't waiting around for him because he's, he's sort of traveling with them in a lot of ways. So, you know, you break into your facility, he's there with you the whole way, unlocking doors, shutting down security, turning off lights, turning on lights. Then you guys get out, you get in the car. Doing surveillance. Yep, during surveillance. And then when you get in, of course, you you know, you know flip some switch or hook him into the mainframe, and then he gets all the information he needs to get or dumps in information, however, you know, whatever it is. And then you all leave. The game master incites a car chase, and then he is controlling traffic lights and stuff all the way trying to help you with your, you know, your chase. So if you have some kind of, if you have a game with chase rules in it, say, like, like Savage Worlds does, you know, he could be giving you bonuses to your chase rolls. Oh, yeah, changing the lights so that as soon as you go through, it turns red. 
Right, exactly. Or they all tu- they all turn green. Right. Setting off the fire alarm in a building, let, let's say a movie theater, so all of a sudden 3,000 people come walking out of the front of the theater into the street between you and the police. There's different ways of doing that. Or every bank machine in the area starts spitting money out. Sure. If you're in the building, it gets a hold of the cameras, and if they're kind of that they can be moved, just moves them so they're looking at a wall for about a second or so, then come on back. Get the guys in the in the security shack don't notice that during that second that time I was looking at the wall, you all scooted on past that camera and came on back. <laughs> now we're not telling you how you do this. It kind of depends on the kind of game you're playing. It depends on the level of technology you have available to you. Yeah. And the level of technology and by that I mean the level of technology that you're trying to affect, plus the level of technology you have on your side. So you might have the ability to access certain things and not other things. And the skills of your character is also going to come into play. You might have the ability to go against static systems like the alarms inside of a building where you might not have the ability to hack into a secure system like police comlinks. Your GM and you are going to have to work together to create a scenario where you can be successful and have a lot of options. At the same time, not treat you like you can do anything because then you don't have any challenges. We want to do this so it's more than just a... A die roll. Okay, it's time to hack hack the security system. I'm rolling the dice. Oh, I made it. It's more than that. I mean, you know, if you're trying to hack the system. You're trying to find a, a place to, to plug into the system so you can control the security cameras. And now you're sitting there controlling the cameras and, and keeping your eye open for security guards who come walking through every so often. There's tension there. The guy's sitting out in a van out in the street. Well, maybe the cop pulls up and bangs in the window and says, you can't park here. Most places with good security have multi-layers of security. And so you're going to have multiple tasks in order to facilitate this. And then there are other things that are not directly related to what you're doing as far as getting access to a system that you can also be doing, like that surveillance we were talking about. The same person who's controlling whether or not doors open and close might also be watching to see if the guard is actually still on his rounds or did he stop to go to the bathroom, giving you a little bit more, a little bit less access to a system. And it may also be that when you fail, it may not be a total failure. It may be like, okay, I failed. That means that you now have X amount of minutes to finish the job before you know the police arrive. I do believe in D20 Modern, they say if you fail the roll by 10 or more, I think it is, for computer use, the system is alerted that you failed and there's been a breach and then, you know, the GM can react accordingly. If you do it by 9 or less, then it's like, okay, you might get a retry at maybe a minus because, you know, it's like, okay, you're really rushing now to make sure you don't get caught. Right. As a GM, you should try to avoid these pass-fail type scenarios where you have one path, you reached it, you failed it, okay, now the adventure's over. Everyone has to pick up their stuff and go home. You should make the player available to other options that allows them to, if not totally succeed, at least make a partial success out of it. Yeah. If you're trying to get information, this is something I've seen used by other scenarios, there isn't a pass-fail Say if you're using D20, you have a minimum level you have to attain, a minimal uh, DC you have to pass. But then everything is in stages. Like every five, there's more information. So if you just make the minimum, say, say the minimum is 20, you make the minimum, you get this bit of information. 
If you roll a 25, you get this bit of information. If you make a 30, you get this bit of information. So the better the roll, the more, more information you get. Right. Now, you as a GM, you have to realize, what's the highest uh, computer use skill on, my, uh, on that team? If it's 10, then you really don't want to go above 30, because there's no chance for anyone rolling at 35 unless they have equipment bonuses of some sort. Action point or something. Right. Yeah. Or unless there's something they can do to drastically lower that DC at a certain point. It might be a 35 to go in through the firewall and get to that computer, but if I can get into the actual physical room, it's only a 25. It's always easier to hack from the inside than it is from the outside. It just isn't safer. Yeah, it isn't safer. When I think about setting up a situation, and I'm going to be speaking more toward information type of retrieval, I see four tasks that you're trying to do as a hacker. The first is the intrusion. You're trying to get in through the various security systems. Depending upon how many layers there are, these are tasks that have to be accomplished. Okay, and You can fail some of them. You can even damage some of the systems that would cause you to get past other ones. The GM is going to have to work with you to figure out what are your options as far as bypassing certain security systems. The second thing is analysis. Once you're actually inside the system, you have to make sure that it really is what you thought it was. You have to be able to look at the directory structure and say, okay, I need to go here. I need to send a request to the sysop to mount these volumes of hard drive material so that I can get access to the things that I need. You have to figure out what exactly you need to do. The cool professional probably already knows that. But if you're playing some of the other ones, you may have to do that on the fly. Then you have to do the extraction. And that brings in a lot of options because you could just do the straight up one where you're literally bringing it back over your, your line, okay? And you're just pulling it down as fast as you can pull it down and you have a single line of connection that if it gets broken, it's over. Or you could, as part of your toolkit, you could set up a, some kind of a peer-to-peer file transfer thing where suddenly there's 50 downloads going on simultaneously to other locations so if they cut off one there's still the other ones going you know this again depends on your skills and what's available in your game so you have to figure out a, hopefully ahead of time a plan of extraction of how you're going to get the information out and finally is cleanup and that can come in a, uh, two different ways that i can think of one is where you really don't want them to know that you're there you came in like a ghost you removed it you left no traces that's great or you could direct the responsibility for the intrusion to somebody else. You forge somebody else's identity. So you're cleaning it up by sending your mess to somebody else. And then the third thing is where if it's one of those systems that we see on television, they send the right piece of code and all of a sudden the whole thing goes through a meltdown. Or a hard drive reformat. You destroy the system that you're connected to, which may be your goal ultimately anyways. Because if you take that resource away from your opponents, then they're going to not have that to come after you with. Stuxnet virus that hit the Iranian centrifuges was designed to reprogram the uh, centrifuges so they would destroy themselves in the process of being operated. There are old tales of figuring out the code for uh, the old read heads and the old uh, hard drives that used to be in computers, the big stacks. Someone found out that, hey, if it's spinning at a certain speed and you do this, it causes the read heads to go all the way to the right as hard as it can and causes the entire hard drive to walk across the floor. 
does not do anything good for the hard drive or the head or the or anything else, but it makes it walk across the floor. There was one where you could cause a video card to turn on to a, a frequency that was too high for the monitors that were the standard things bought by corporations. So the, the actual physical monitor would go out. So you come in the next morning and 90% of your monitors aren't working. Well, it's going to be really hard for you to shut down the system or counter hack if all of a sudden you can't see what you're doing. Some of the old dot matrix printers, and don't discount this. I work, I, I've seen dot matrix printers in, in various places still, where you can tell they keep printing the same line over and over again and don't advance the paper. And if you do it fast enough and, and long enough, you may actually cause a fire to happen. American Airlines still uses dot matrix because I was sitting there waiting for a plane, and uh, I hear this, and I walked over and had to look at it because I, I just had to see it. I was laughing, and I asked the person on the counter, I was, I was like, that really is what I think it is. He's like, yeah, it is. And I can always tell you why. I, I, when I was like a student in, in, the, in the university, they had this ancient belt printer. That is, they had these little metal belts with letters on them. They spin around, and hammers hit them at the appropriate times to actually uh, print various letters. And the only reason why they kept that printer was because they had a bajillion paychecks that would only fit that printer. They did not have enough money to buy new paychecks. Yeah, they had to go through those boxes of paycheck forms before they could buy themselves a new printer. They're probably still using that printer to this day, probably. <laughs> <laughs> The advantage of using uh, something like a dot matrix is because it's a continuous feed device versus like your laser jet that sends out a new piece of paper every time you finish printing to it. You can print one line at a time, and I've gone into places where they had a dot matrix that was attached to the security system, and every time someone ran their card through an access point, it would print that card and that access point and that time out on that dot matrix. So even if somebody went in and wiped the hard drive and wiped the logs and even physically damaged the system, they would still have that hard copy to look at and say, this is where it happened and this is when it happened. Let's go track down that card. It's funny talking about that kind of stuff, the hacks that you can do like that. I'm reminded of one of the tricks that a guy did with a fax machine. You take three sheets of paper and you start sending the first one through and when it when it comes around or it comes out of the bottom, you take it and, and while it's still running, you tape the two ends together. So the thing runs in a big loop and, <laughs> and chews up everything, you know, chews up all the paper and stuff. On the other end. Right, on the other end. Those are low-grade hacks. Yeah. In a cyberpunk type of world, you know, using an old system like this, using an old language, actually could be one of your defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. If you're not relying on, you know, super high speed or high tech or something like that, but, you, you know, you still need a computer system for your company, you know, if you use like an old program like, like Cobalt or, or you're using, you know, dot matrix printers or something like that, you could literally sideline a net runner who gets in there and goes, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, what is this, some kind of new technology? They've never even heard of it before. The system is so limited, I, I can't get around in it. Let's talk about opposed hacking. Mm -hmm. So here you are, you're going in, you're hacking in, you got your uh, agents who are going into the building, you're giving them the way in, and they're trying to get to the point where they can plug you into the main computer, and they do, and then all of a sudden you hear, uh, or comes across your screen, the MCP. I know you're there, I'm taking you down, you and your little dogs, too, you know. 
My personal opinion is we should take a page from what we talked about before about great enemies, great nemesis, and that is it should be personal. This shouldn't be some nameless face that's coming after you, trying to stop you. It should have a name. You should know who it is. It should be after your blood. And it should be even better if it knows who you are. We brought one up before. Hackers. There was the defense team in the, where they were busy trying to hack into. They had this team of former hackers who are now the elite protection squad for this corporation. And one of them is Larry's out. He's out after the guy who's hacking the system. One cowboy and one former cowboy going at each other. Right. But I'm saying is that when it happens versus this being some kind of like duel in the dark where you don't see the opponent, it falls down to only just you and the other person and a bunch of die rolls. It needs to be much more theatrical where a, a channel opens up like a Skype message comes up and he starts talking out of your speaker and he's talking to you and he's, he's messing with your head. And he's using his bluff checks and he's using his intimidation checks while he's also using his anti-hacking skills. In other words, he's fighting you, not just your skills. And you're doing the same to him. Hey, not only that, but turns out that he's also the guy who works in the coffee shop on the weekend that you go to and he realizes who you are. Oh, he knows who I am. Or turns out he's some cousin of yours that has some secret job that he would never tell anybody. You know, I work for an agency that I can't talk about. And you get in there and something tips you off and it's like, oh my God, it's Miguel. Or Aunt Julie, is that you? <laughs> right. Or his main job is to keep you entertained while his minions are busy trying to track you down, or at least backhack you, trying to get into your system and take your system down, or even find out where you are, and then send their troubleshooters to your location. But one of the reasons to do this is because it takes it out of the hand of the single individual. Because games like Bureau 13 and Fringeworthy, at least my games, I always have everybody hooked into comm systems. When this happens, it's not just the hacker that hears this. It's also all the other people on the comm link. And that gives them an opportunity, especially if other people have intimidation skills or has skills in specific areas, they can get in on it. They can start talking to the counter hacker as well as you, so you can concentrate on your hacking. They're the ones going verbally toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. So it doesn't have to be just a single tour de force of a single player. It actually still remains a group effort. This is one of the common complaints about cyberpunk games where the netrunner is going and all the samurais are sitting around going, I can't do nothing right now while the net hackers are net hacking. And vice versa. You know, you have to find a way to mesh them together. It's the whole never split the party thing. If, if we're going to have a hacking adventure, then it's good to have everybody try to be involved with the hacking somehow and you all have the experience of it even if it's just as bruce said via comlinks in some way everybody is going to be involved with it there's a concept in cyberpunk <laughs> literature that's called piggybacking if you're a net runner and you have another character behind you he goes in with you he can't really do anything. He might be able to advise. He could be an extra pair of eyes. But he's still involved in the net running somehow. And it's just something I remember seeing years ago in some cyberpunk book. But that's some way to keep everybody involved, if only tangentially. Ghost in the Shell, the uh, series, and even the movies, they found a way to actually have hacking and gun combat and so forth go on at the same time. 
Of course, as Bruce will say, most of these people are legendary characters. They're not just beginners. But still, depending on your level of technology that you're, that the characters have access to, they could be firing away at the same time, trying to hack the systems through their cyber brains in the back of their head. You never know. Where I think was done very effectively was on the television show Probe, where you had one guy who was uh, the main operative, and he had a camera that he wore on him, which was ultra-miniaturized, and everybody in this room that was being linked through satellites could hear everything and see everything he saw. He'd come in and someone would start talking to him in another language. The people in the room would be experts. One of them would be an expert in that language. And so they would say, he's saying this, and this is, and he, repeat after me. And he would give the words for him to say. Or he'd look at something and they'd say, that over there, that's a special type of architecture. That means that it was built by this architect, and he lives nearby. You could probably get the plans from him. Let's pull that up. They had a whole cadre of people in that room that would use all their skills to augment the physical capabilities of the one operative. But in most cases, what you're going to have is the opposite, where you have the one guy in the computer monitor and the entire team, rest of the team is going to be out there. But I'm just saying, it can go either way, depending upon what you want to do as a game. The important thing is to identify as many tasks as possible for the players to do, and then to divide those tasks out amongst as many players as possible. So that even if you're doing a hacking, there's still things for them to do, in addition to the one guy who's got the elite hacking skills. One thing I will have to point out, in today's security-conscious world, if it's really important information, it's not on an external net. It's only internal. So you, you, you are going to have to send someone in to get that information. Sounds of civil problems right there. Your net runner, your, your hacker, is sitting there sweating bullets, wearing two layers of, of Kevlar because he doesn't want to get shot. <laughs> you guys are in there trying to help him get to the system. Well, either that, John, or you're going with your own wireless system to hook him in from externally. But we don't want that situation where the player sits there all session until the last five minutes where he gets to do something. It's, it's really important to give him as many opportunities to do things. That's why I said doing surveillance, looking up information, doing Alta Vista language translations using his computer system. Anything that you can do to keep each person in the group with a task to do as the game progresses is going to make that adventure all the better, even though the goal is hacking. And if you don't have any person who is a hacker and you're in a situation where you need to do hacking, the best thing to do is to do it off screen. Yeah. Have the GM bring in an NPC and you guys sit around in the break room and all of a sudden, you know, the the door flings open. He says, okay, I'm in. I got the information, but the police are on their way. Now go. Let's get out of here. And just don't have the GM literally play with his NPCs while you're <laughs> sitting around watching this go back and forth. Or if you're doing like Bureau 13, you send a request in. Uh, we need this information. And they say, we'll get back to you soon. Yeah. And however long it takes them to do the hacking or to put the request through officially or using an alias or something like that, that's how long it takes to come back. In the meantime, you do other things, things you can do. Yep. You don't necessarily need a hacker to hack. I played a few rounds of a game called Diaspora, and one of the aspects of Diaspora is ships hacking other ships. We have the console code for the ship, and we're going to turn your shields off situation. 
So incursion, that is quite possible. You're in a, Ardana New, you're being chased by folks. If someone's finally figured out how to read a Shawnee, they can start working the system and try uh, hacking the other, the other guy's ship. Either shut off their engines or turn off their drive, you know, turn off their weapons or whatever. Kind of like what they did in Star Trek II, knowing the command codes, yes. And that's a very viable combat skill for ships, especially when you have a ship like the Ardana New. D20 Modern, they have base computer hacking skills, and basically it'll tell you in the skills section under the computer use entry how to go about it. D20 does have other third-party net-running PDFs, and I have access to one. It's from Adamant Entertainment. It is known as NetSpace, part of the Terminal Identity Set. It has unique net-running skills and feats, and it even covers the various types of technology that one would use in order to, because we've talked about different tech levels that you would need depending on your game. Like Fringeworthy and Bureau 13, we have a little bit higher tech because obviously Fringeworthy is 20 years ahead of Bureau 13, so they're going to have higher tech and give it to the Bureau agents. It allows for telepresence, which would be you know your keyboards, mice, joysticks, motion gloves. Mm-hmm. Teleimmersion, where you're in a full body suit with the goggles. Neuroservers, where you have computers in the brain, and then the induction helmets, which they call squids. This PDF has a lot of unique rules for defining net space, how you would go about what security levels you're going to have to deal with, firewalls, ice walls, black ice, other countermeasures. I personally recommend this particular PDF if you want to have that cinematic type of net running for your campaign where everybody could join in, where it's not just you roll a die, GM rolls a die, okay. If you want to put a little more awesome into your net running hacking experience for a game, I offer this as a suggestion. I'm planning on using it personally. And it still is available from RPG Now. I just went and looked for it. It's $5. And drivethroughrpg.com. Are... It's the same place. Yes. And it's been revamped because it's now D20 OGL. But, but just like we talk about our own games... The system isn't really that important unless it does keep you from doing things. These supplements are great because of the concepts that are in them. They tell you the steps that you need to do to make it seem like you're doing it, to bring up the drama, to create the verisimilitude that you need to really feel like you're actually doing the situation. How much hand-waving you want to do, that is up to your game system and your GM and your play style. Fringe, whether you run into the situation of incompatible systems. Well, no. If you're going out there with, with your normal load of stuff, you may actually have enough gold to buy a computer, and it just takes a little time to get used to it, and once you get used to that computer, you can use that computer to hack with. I don't know exactly how different those systems would be, necessarily. You know, the languages are the same. People wear the same clothes. If you go to an Earth that is an alternate, say, by a few years or, or whatever... It could be a different operating system, but it could be the exact same thing. Well, anything within the past 40 years is going to be based on the IEEE standards. So I would say within the past 40 years, yeah, you, 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 there may be some minor differences, but you, you, yeah, you shouldn't have any problems. It's when you have the Romans lasting until the 15th century and there's a Chinese empire in the Americas. It ain't going to be the same. 
Oh yeah, right. No, no, you're right. You're right. Those operating systems are probably quite different. I don't think the language gift of the portals is going to help you there because you're you may know the base language on which the programs are written, but it's still <laughs> going to be a different code. Therefore, you're going to have to take time to learn it, and that can be done something like Bruce said off screen while the other things are being done with the players while we're on this world. Wait, Metrav, what if you come into a robot world? Bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop, bleep. He said flesh is weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you would speak um, machine language. Yeah, uh, binary, yeah. Right. The book, the Star Child series, they had a tonal binary language where they wrote code in tones and they would speak it into the computer to control the computers and also to hear what the computer had to say to them. So you could easily have robots in a world where they didn't have wireless, for example, who would communicate with each other using tones because you don't have to have direct line of sight. I mean, yeah, they could look at each other and then you know, set up some kind of an optical link and flash it back and forth. But if you use tones, anybody who's within earshot, you could have real distributed processing that way. Okay. And you might have to learn how to speak in that trinary or, or whatever, that, that phonum language in order to communicate with those sets of systems. And, of course, if they're the primary life form, you already do when you go through the portal. All right, so, everybody, this has been uh, the episode on hacking. So that when you're playing, if you want to introduce uh, the element of computer hacking into your game, you'll have a, a really good idea of how to do that. Some pitfalls to avoid, some ideas to work with, give you some ideas for plotting it out. It is by no means 100% complete. You know, we hit everything the best we could, but there's always nuances and combinations and, and such. And we encourage you to come on our website, our Facebook page, to make comments. Give us some feedback. Give us some of your ideas. Correct us where we were wrong if we happen to, to misspeak something. We'll see you next time. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.